You are listening to the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network. Visit PencilandPaperProductions.Podbean.com to find more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to As I Recall It, a podcast featuring stories and anecdotes of years past. Did they happen exactly as I said? Probably not, only as I recall it. We hear the terms anxiety and depression so much lately that it's easy to dismiss it, which is really a shame because those who truly suffer from these conditions are simply cast aside with so many assuming it's no big deal. If you have a day where, let's say, you got pulled over first thing in the morning, stubbed your toe walking into work, spilled coffee on your shirt, then broke your favorite coffee mug on the way to refill it, you're probably going to feel terrible. But to say you're depressed because of it is reaching. Comments like that are, in my opinion, why we've become so dismissive of them. But people truly deal with anxiety and depression in ways that are truly crippling. As I recall, I've been plagued by anxiety and depression for a large part of my life. It wasn't until recently that I knew that's what it was. I had been told by non-professionals that I had anger issues or that I was a jerk and so on. There were times I had angry outbursts when they weren't from nowhere, yet I was convinced that I didn't know how to control it. I was convinced that I was a hate-filled, antisocial human being because I didn't like hanging out with large groups or even being around large crowds. Having the knowledge I have now, things make more sense. I don't have anger issues, and I'm not a jerk, even though I can be. To give a clear picture of why I know this now, a therapist I spoke to explained to me that when you lose your temper, it's like a bomb going off. The fuse is lit, and the time it takes for the fuse to ignite the bomb is the amount of patience a person has. But once the bomb has gone off, even though you may be able to make a new bomb, that bomb's fuse is not going to be as long as the last one. And each time the bomb goes off, the fuse will continue to get shorter and shorter. He explained that being a people pleaser can lead to this much faster. Now, I wish I could pinpoint moments in my life that could have led to these conditions. For all I know, my brain has been wired this way from the start. I have a firm belief that part of it stems from my desire to keep the peace and avoid confrontations. By sacrificing my own wants and needs and giving in to what others want... I've put myself into uncomfortable positions one too many times that have led to this form of PTSD. That's probably an extreme exaggeration of the situation, but I'm not really sure how else to describe it. I do always wonder if my life would be different if it were wired in the opposite way. What would my life be like if I were more outgoing, social, and laid back? Would it be the same or drastically different? I've never spoken about my conditions and quirks in a public forum, and the reason I am now is to not only let my own flaws be known, but to also hopefully help others feel as though they are not alone. When you break down the two terms, anxiety and depression, they function on two separate ends. Anxiety is the fear of the future, and depression is a fear of the past. This is a very simple definition of both, but for the sake of this, it should be enough. Grappling with one of these problems is bad enough, But both makes life much harder. For example, I have issues conversing with people, more with people I don't know, and hardly acquainted with. My brain is not good with small talk and practically finds it pointless. Now, if the person hits on something I know about, 
Then my brain will sort through all the knowledge I have and begin using it to help maintain a conversation. But even that has limits. Talking to women has always been especially hard for me. Anytime I found a woman attractive or interesting and wanted to get to know her better, I never knew how to begin. I felt that one wrong move would blow the whole thing and we'd never talk at all. And if we did talk, I would always worry that I would say something wrong and make her not want to talk to me again. Usually after a chat, it becomes the full analysis of a conversation, hoping that I didn't say anything where she thought I was weird and wouldn't want to talk again. Then there's the casual chit-chat trying to maintain some form of conversation, only to have it feel one-sided. Also a side note, if you want to talk to someone, don't hesitate to reach out and say hello despite your reservations, but do not maintain a one-sided relationship. Whether it's a friend or a lover, every relationship takes two people. Every single one. Anyway, this mental back and forth of what am I going to screw up now to what did I screw up is exhausting. It also filters into my work. Not really my 9-to-5 job, but more my creative works like my YouTube shows and my podcasts. These shows have helped me put on a bolder face where I have to take charge and guide a show. This has helped in other aspects, which has allowed me to create what I believe to be better content overall. However, it's the aftermath that can be problematic. The aftermath is the response, and usually it feels as if no one cares. Very few watches or listens, no comments, no feedback. Just an empty void. When something does well, I want to know why. When something doesn't, I want to know why. When something was doing well, then suddenly isn't, I want to know why. But there never seems to be any answers. I feel like I've been all over the place with this topic, but that's the perfect analogy for it. Anxiety and depression are mental chaos. Sometimes they don't seem to exist, but other days, they keep you confined to your bed. I was always familiar with the term, can't get out of bed, and it had been another one of those dismissive terms to me. Then, it happened to me. I never knew how real it was. This feeling of despair that is so strong that you just cannot get out of bed. And I know it's more of a mental situation with the bed, providing some immediate form of comfort, but still, that's a strong force to be paralyzed by. As far as depression goes, I feel like I've hit some hefty lows, days where I didn't eat, nights where I didn't sleep. However, I will say, for whatever reason, I've never contemplated suicide. I don't say this to brag. I've honestly wondered why I've never reached that level of despair. I've convinced myself that I selfishly don't want to die because of all the things that I don't want to miss. I would often wonder why others can't think to do the same, but I know they are not me and... I am not them. Based on the current state of society, I'm the last person who should have any worries or concerns in the world. I'm a straight white man. Everything is handed to me on a silver platter. I don't have to worry about racial prejudice or bigotry or even sexual harassment. And you're probably right. I don't have to worry about these things. But I do. I worry about my family and friends who aren't white. I worry about my family and friends who aren't straight. Family and friends that aren't men. I'm a human being who cares about people that matter to him. How to do that properly makes me anxious. If I fail someone on that front, it makes me feel bad and puts me into a shame spiral. By the way, that shame spiral is a dangerous place to get trapped. I should've, I could've, why didn't I? 
There's so many questions you can ask, and it changes nothing. Best to let it go instead of getting stuck in that loop. Everyone is dealing with their own demons. Some aren't that bad. Others have demons we don't even consider. You never know what someone is going through or dealing with. Don't judge a book by its cover. Never assume someone's life is better than yours. You never know what mask someone is hiding behind. And sometimes, a smile is the easiest one to wear. I've debated several times about whether or not I wanted to use this platform to speak about my oldest and dearest friend, but that's what the intention is here, a look back. So let's do just that. Let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Jamin Spinogle. First of all, I honestly cannot recall what connected us. I cannot recall what our first conversation was even about. To be fair, it was 35 years ago as of this recording, so my memory is a bit fuzzy. Comic books would be my guess. But what's most interesting about it all is even though I don't recall the first time we met, I also do not recall a time without him. Obviously, there was a point in my life before Jamin Spinogle, but I don't remember it. It was as though he was always there. A best friend waiting in the wings. I'm not sure what that exactly means but I find it interesting. Looking back on our years in school together, I'm sure I could tell you a number of stories if I could remember them all. I remember snippets, if anything. I can tell you that he was the cool kid, the popular one. He was the guy that everyone gravitated towards. Outside of having a cool-sounding name, he had a charm about him, and no one could deny that. I've honestly tried thinking of one person he had a beef with, and... No one comes to mind. Sure, there were people he didn't like. Hell, even I fell into that category at one point, and it was something that damaged our friendship permanently, even though I'm sure he never knew it. But I don't remember fights or rivalries with anyone. I had always wondered why we clicked when there were so many other kids out there he could be hanging out with. At some point, years into our adulthood, he told me it was because he could talk about nerdy stuff with me and I would nerd out with him. It was like he was the cool kid who couldn't expose the horrible truth of being a nerd. Fascinating still, but we did bond over comics. I remember so many stories we would talk about and get excited over like the birth of Venom or the Infinity Gauntlet miniseries. I remember he was a huge X-Men fan. Maybe more Wolverine than the team, but a fan nonetheless. He actually recorded the animated series for me, which I appreciated the hell out of because there was no way I'd see it otherwise since we didn't have a strong signal on our TV antenna to get Fox. I remember we even saw the first X-Men flick together, which was pretty cool to think back on now. And even though he allowed himself to be geeky with me, he did present me with a whole new world of music and culture. First of all, Jamin loved horror movies. I honestly have no clue where that love or desire stems from, but he was all about it. The first Fangoria magazine I ever saw was his. The first horror film I ever saw was because of him, and he had a passion for the stuff that wasn't casual. He knew a good horror flick when he saw one. He even appreciated the craft that came along with creating it. 
In fact, I remember a conversation we had when The Walking Dead became popular. He told me that he hated that zombies were all over pop culture now because he felt robbed of something that used to feel like it belonged to a rare few. Another one of his passions that kind of ties into the horror element was music. Even though his musical palette seemed to be open to various genres, metal seemed to be his primary and much of the artwork depicted by the bands had a hardcore slash horror element to it, which made sense. I believe the first band he ever introduced me to was Black Sabbath, which then led to Ozzy Osbourne. In fact, the very first CD I ever owned was Ozzy's first album, and it was given to me by Jamin. I didn't have a CD player at the time of receiving it, but it gave me a reason to get one. White Zombie was another band he pushed towards me, and I'm pretty sure he was a huge fan of Rob Zombie's artwork. I remember seeing some doodles of his that actually emulated Zombie's style. While we're on that subject, he was quite the artist, which was something else we bonded over. When we were kids, I was always amazed by his artwork. He had a style that, for someone his age, was pretty impressive. Looking back on it now, it was the detail he put into the work, no matter how significant the piece was, that was amazing. He always found a way to make it pop. I was never quite as good as he was, and always looking to improve my craft. I believe each time I evolved my art, I was looking for his approval. Not to saying he never gave me any, but I eventually stopped pursuing it. It was better for me, and even without it, I continued improving my craft. I don't believe I mentioned this before, but if you recall a previous episode where I talked about a comic I did called Steven's Wacky Maze, Jamin became a character in that comic. Since the protagonist of the story was, in essence, me, I needed a best pal to help when things got rough. And I never wanted Jamin to be written like a sidekick. He was always an equal. In fact, as I progressed these characters into other stories and situations, I moved them into separate spaces that were more befitting to them both. I wrote Jamin's character into a team of demon hunters, which leaned more into the horror aspects that he liked so much. In fact, he actually created a character for one of the stories that I wrote for the team. I considered it one of the better things that I had ever written, and it was all because of him. I enjoyed the dynamic of our characters moving into two separate directions, and it felt more realistic because we did. Now, I really debated on this section because it's pretty revealing, but I don't feel as though it taints Jamin's name in any way, and if I felt that it did, I wouldn't mention any of this. Of all the things Jamin introduced me to, hardcore pornography was one that kind of stands out before seeing the ins and outs, as it were. I wasn't completely sure about the whole process of sex, since I hadn't quite seen it, and it hadn't quite been explained. Well, watching some of those videos was a massive crash course on the subject, so I guess I should be grateful. While on this subject, I remember a Monday at school, when he arrived in our first period class in high school, senior year, at least, I'm sure that was the right year. He sat down beside me, looked me dead in the eye, and said, Guess who got fucked this weekend? As happy as I was for him, it made me feel more distant from him. Here was yet another thing he had done before me because he was the cool kid and I was the loser with the goddamn mullet. Seriously, why didn't someone say something? I do hate that he had the experience he had because, in all honesty, the girl that kind of quote, took his innocence, was kind of a whore. I don't say that to be misogynistic, but I don't know another way to say it. 
she used him. She cheated on him. When he found out all of this, she even tried offering fellatio to someone to help her win him back. That's low. And for the record, it wasn't me. I just overheard. High school was a point in time where our paths diverged. We would still hang out and talk here and there, but it was kind of class dependent. He fell in with the kids that were the smoking and taking drugs crowd. I fell in with the no one crowd because I was a nerd who disliked jocks but was too afraid to do anything illegal and because I was considered lame would get picked on by several assholes. Looking back on everything in hindsight, seeing where our paths led, I always wonder if there's something I could have done in high school that could have altered the course of events that led to his unfortunate death. In case that wasn't already apparent, now you know. I feel that's where certain events happened that led him down a dark path where he never felt like he belonged anywhere. I remember something his mother told me, stating how Jamin felt as though he couldn't hang out with me or any other friends that had a spouse or even children, feeling as though he would be a third wheel or in the way, which was in no way true. I remember a horror convention that was happening in Nashville some years back, filled with icons that we both knew and loved. We were going to go together, but he bailed on me saying he couldn't make it. And to be honest, I wasn't surprised since he had done this very thing to me many times in our lives. I'd gotten used to it. A few weeks after that particular moment, I invited him over to my home and, surprised, he actually showed We sat down in my office and chatted about various things, and that day was brought up. In that moment, he confessed that he was struggling with a bout of depression that day, that he just couldn't get out of bed. It was a shock to me. It was also an eye-opener. I always assumed that the popular people who are beloved never have to worry about anything. Their lives are perfect. Clearly, I knew nothing. But even after telling me this information, he still recoiled. I would invite him over often, which would often be hit or miss. I would communicate regularly with him, which would either get an immediate response or responses that took days. I tried not to let it get to me. I tried to understand it from another perspective. But I think the lack of honesty behind what was going on is what bothered me most. In fact, the incident from our childhood had already strained my trust of him, so this didn't help. I feel like I understood what he was struggling with, and I feel like he assumed I would judge him. But maybe that's not it at all. There may be more than I think I know. When the news of his death came to me, I was distraught. I wasn't sure how to handle coping with it. I was just in a massive fog of sadness, but no tears just depressed. It felt like losing a family member. But eventually I did shed tears. It was during a conversation with his oldest sister, Vanessa. She mentioned to me an item that he had been making for me and that she would get it to me as soon as possible. Upon hearing that is when I broke down crying. So many times I had questioned our friendship, what it meant to him, and whether or not I was even important to him. But in that moment, I realized that I mattered to him. But to not only realize this after the fact, made it much more difficult to deal with. I know how hard it was 
and sometimes still is for myself, but I cannot imagine what it's like for his immediate family. If you ever wanted to meet some of the best people on earth, you should really go meet the Spinogles. This is by far the best lot I've ever known. I wish I could say that I've kept in touch with him more after his funeral, but I never did. I promised I would, but I guess the thought of coming around more after the fact just seemed wrong to me. I should have been around before. Maybe it could have made a difference. And, at the same time, maybe not. Plus, I didn't want to intrude into their family as though I was trying to fill a void. It just seemed wrong. One thing that stuck with me over the years was a Facebook post he tagged me in. I'm not sure I'll quote it exactly, so we'll just say I'm paraphrasing. It said, If I call you brother, then you have earned my respect. I, along with several other people, were tagged in this post, but it wasn't a very large group. This was a select few people he was knowing that they were special to him. This, along with numerous other posts like sharing pictures and stories with me, coming to my defense in other posts when he thought someone was talking bad about me, or even just chiming in to crack a joke, something he was always good at, all of these were proof that I mattered to him. I was just too blind to see it. Now my friend is gone, and I could never truly share how much he mattered to me. How our friendship shaped and defined who I became. How his creativity inspired my own. How he was one of a kind, and no one will ever fill his shoes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our stories. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash pencilandpaperproductions or pencilandpaperproductions.podbean.com and click become a patron in the top right-hand corner. Remember, you can tell your friends to find us on the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network found on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts, and even youtube.com slash pencilandpaperproductions. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again next time for more stories. This has been a Pencil and Paper Podcast Network production.